0: go at one minute before one o'clock this morning the switchboard at the capitol received a phone call a man's voice said a bomb would go off in the building in half an hour at 1:30 in the morning it did in a small unmarked restroom on the ground floor of the senate side next to a barber shop and near several small offices including one committee hearing room
1: there was alarm for a time that other bombs might still be hidden inside the capitol Police used dogs specially trained to sniff out explosives in a painstaking search both inside
2: and outside the building. The single bomb set off by a timing device left the men's room a shambles, plumbing demolished, bricks and plaster ripped from walls.
3: Ooh.
4: And we're back. Ew. Man. How's
3: StreamYard. it going?
4: It's right. sorry. Right. This botched. is Colin. This is Colin. I'm remembering to announce myself.
5: Hey, and this is Scott, the man who botched that intro. <laughs> it
4: was close. Uh, and cue the music. Oh. Yeah. Streamyards. God. <laughs> We need the control, uh, some kind of uh, podcast control panel or something. I don't yes, know. yeah, something here. But I yeah. do have a new microphone. I, I hope everyone likes the sound of my voice tonight. I I, I, don't like have, it. I don't have to play it up. I'll still be natural. But
5: yeah, you good? I like it. It's fun. Yeah, as we say, we're in the game.
4: <sighs> Got to get in the game.
5: Cool. Cool. So well, let's see. You're you're sharing your screen. Here. Yeah, um, we're already on the topic controls.
4: if you are watching.
5: And then maybe we'll just do that. Yeah. All,
4: All right. right. Um, so that clip that I played was regarding the Weather Underground bombing the Capitol. And uh are you familiar with the Weather Underground?
5: Yeah, yeah. But let's uh let's act like I'm a knot. We'll, okay. We'll talk about it a little bit. They have a nice <clears> logo, I always <clears> Dark logo, but yeah, I, well, I read a book about them a long time ago, probably before any documentary came out about them, which I haven't seen.
4: Oh, there's a, there's a good one, which I'm going to feature some clips from. Oh, cool. Um, Okay. Yeah. It doesn't trigger uh, the sensors at all, but, um,
6: Uh,
5: yeah, but yeah, this book was read like kind of in the narrative of their like kind of edgy heroes. I found it like, you know, like those old, um, zine record stores, um, pre nine mm. o pre nine eleven era, you know, before,
4: things. you know, it's fun. <clears throat> it's funny. You say that because the documentary that, um, I'm going to feature here in a little bit does the same. It kind of paints them as like, and I remember when I watched it years ago, um, I didn't know much about the weather underground and I watched it. And afterward I was like, wow, you know, they were kind of cool. Like, and I had Ah. no, I had no, no idea of any of the background, but I was into the sixties like any other kid that's fantasizing about the past. And, um, you know, so they had that, that aura attached to to them and, you know, taking down the government. This is, uh, you know, this is not, in the way that we need it, and yeah, fight yeah. back, and it was like, oh, cool, yeah, I, I like the anti-war movement, but you know, it you also died, gave <laughs> it,
5: yeah, it gave it like a color to it that you weren't wasn't there before because mostly it was like the anti-war movement. Then you have like the hippies, Woodstock, the music, the rioting, which the I drugs, wasn't the drugs, right? Which I wasn't really aware of the rioting until later. But yeah, it kind of like unveiled a little bit of uh, mysticism about that time period to kind of like let me know that it actually like like shit ran deep back then, you know, or at least that's what it wanted me to think. Mm. And i I was the same way, like, although I had an opposite reaction, I was like, "What a bunch of douchebags!" Like, because it it was a book, so you know, like books as opposed to tiktok videos that goes into detail um typically details that you know it kind of follow their lives from when they started um all the way till kind of they they broke up so they were like a far left radical group i also thought it was interesting that they came out of ann arbor michigan
4: yeah i was gonna mention that here uh very yeah. close by yeah uh, to you and um that is uh, no surprise. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, no so the surprise. the Weather, they were originally known as the Weathermen. I'm just gonna read a little from Wikipedia. And they were organized as a faction of students for a democratic society who were a pretty far left um political group in the sixties. Um yeah,
5: you know, which they, I think they came out of Port
4: Huron. Oh, he, sure. I think you're I think you might be right, yeah. Or something like that. I can just like, pull that up. I found it at Ann Arbor, Michigan. Also, oh, okay, yeah, they had something to do, but yeah. So they were, uh, they, they had some, some cra- So they did. Uh, they kind of became the violent wing of the SDS and broke off from them. Uh, and they they did things like they, uh, well, they bombed the Capitol, as I featured. They bombed the Pentagon and they bombed the State Department. Um, they didn't i don't think they killed anyone uh with the bombs because they'd always let people know like hey we're gonna we're gonna bomb a building but don't be in the buildings supposedly is what their, you know their their um message was but uh i thought that was pretty crazy um have you never heard about it ever probably like ever Yeah, very little. I mean, you know, when Obama ran, they mentioned one of the people that started it a lot, Bill Ayers. Yeah. And he's a very interesting character, but he was was the hero of
5: of the book that I read. He was like the main guy.
4: Oh, boy. Okay. basically. Yeah. Curious who wrote that book now.
5: Uh, Me, too. Me, too.
4: But uh, they were, you know, they did they they did some crazy things, and um, I just want to start a clip off with um, it's from the documentary. The name of the documentary is the the Weather Underground from 2002, and uh, they have a a a, well they they did the Days of Rage. I think it was 69, 68 in that in that range, where they kind of just did a pre-antifa action kind of thing where they just went through the streets destroyed property and Mm. you know was Mm -hmm. a riot protest and watching this i was getting i don't know if you'll feel this way but kind of getting flashbacks to the summer of love 2020.
7: so we thundered out of the park about 10 or 12 abreast and we headed down this way and the first building we came to was a bank and we trashed every window in the bank
8: glass big plate glass windows inviting and that was like the signal that was
4: like pavlov's bell pavlov's bell they huh. broke the glass oh and that's uh letting people know it's about to, shit's going down right yeah but pavlov's bell
5: <laughs> <I'd rather> be <laughs> somebody was already like what pre-programmed <laughs>
2: yeah to be violent for violent sake with the radicals making no specific demands.
8: at about
7: this point at state and division we saw a serious barricade several police cars
4: i want to point out he's carrying a baseball bat just hmm. to re- just to reenact this uh event
7: uh, a real mass presence and we had no out at that point so we just swarmed into it and there was a terrible fight right here
2: police generally acted with restraint but three people were wounded by police gunshots
7: last night was the beginning for us the ruling class in their gold coast decadence will walk their streets a little less secure tonight. If they hadn't dug it before, they would better dig it now. They okay, are... who's the
5: guy behind him smoking? That's, <laughs> he's got to be his handler.
4: That's yeah. so. That's, a, that's odd. A, this guy right there. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. It's very possible.
7: Or they better dig it now. They
2: are the enemy. <laughs> The Weatherman SDS has been trying to give the impression that the Black Panthers are on their side, but the Panthers deny this.
4: I love what the member of the Black Panthers has to say about the Weatherman here. It's very funny.
0: We believe that the Weatherman action is
2: anarchistic, opportunistic, individualistic, it's chauvinistic, it's uh, uh and that's the bad part about it. It's customistic in that it's leaders take people into
5: situations where the people can be massacred, and they call that it revolution and It's nothing but child's play, it's folly. We think these people may be sincere, but they're misguided, they're muddleheads, and they're scatterbrains.
1: <laughs> weatherman
9: wow. has totally distorted the concept of militancy. They see it as attacking the people. We're trying to ally with working people, and they're out attacking them. You know, so it's a very simple thing. I mean, police couldn't do a better job. You know, I I tend to think that their purpose is just to make the name of SDS a dirty name, and uh, they've managed to do a pretty good job of that.
4: Yeah, so they uh, were just trying to trying to start some some uh, conflict in the street because they saw it as a tactic.
5: Uh, yeah and there happened to be so many cameras there
4: right you know? <clears throat> yeah like they called their friends down at the station you know they like yeah. hey, we're, things are gonna get crazy and yeah so they they had anticipated i think like thousands of people being there i think it was just a couple hundred but yeah um they <clears throat> this is a tactic and i want to uh Quickly shift into uh, a documentary from the '60s called "Anarchy USA." You ever heard of this one? Oh, nope. uh by G. Edward Griffin, uh, the Personally. the OG yeah. Federal Reserve, um, Jekyll Island man, Jekyll Island, yeah, yeah. And uh, it explains kind of why. Uh, so, uh, yeah. why would you? Why would you want to take it to the streets? Why would you want to? that's what Get the people people are. Well, what's the what's the purpose of it you know what it's obviously you're trying to accomplish something and it seems counterintuitive to like that that last lady said there you're, you're you know alienating the working class right well mm-hmm. this this kind of explains it a little bit more
2: the next step in the communist strategy is the most easily recognized for it consists of the tactic of getting masses into motion and thus precipitating mob violence. Master psychologists that they are, the communists know that once the masses are in the streets, it's not too difficult to convert an orderly demonstration into a full scale riot. They know too that when rioting occurs, police and military forces of the government must move to restore law and order and thus They have the first visible signs of revolution. Riots, demonstrations, street battles, detachments of a revolutionary army. Such are the stages in the development of the popular uprising. The official constitution and program of the Communist Party stated in 1921,
10: The Communist Party will educate and organize the working masses for mass strikes and mass demonstrations. It is through struggles that the working masses are prepared for the final conflict for power. As these strikes grow in number and intensity, they acquire political character through unavoidable collision and open combat with the capitalistic state. Mass action culminates in insurrection and civil war. In
2: 1964, a communist document taken from the Viet Cong stated,
10: get the people out into the streets. Quarrels should be provoked. Youth groups are to be armed with knives and clubs, allegedly to protect themselves and the manufactured tension.
2: In China. Mm -hmm.
4: So they're trying to make it make that conflict, that class struggle or whatever uh, you know, opposition that they're trying to make clear, choosing sides. They're trying to make it obvious. And um, elicit more of a mob mentality from people who may be on their side uh, ideologically, but aren't, aren't ready to, to do that. And I think yeah. we saw that uh, a bit during 2020 where, you know, you just get mobs of people and then you get those, you know, the black uh, masked Antifa people mm-hmm. coming in and,
5: which they'll go anywhere.
4: Yeah. 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 yeah, they're traveling circus almost.
5: But I also wondered like, are they picking now probably neighborhoods? Like, what kind of research are they doing to go in? What, Like, where do you start at? Which neighborhood? Which neighborhood's going to have a more likely probability of people joining in? You know, mm-hmm. who's who's kettled in these neighborhoods? Whose steam is rising? You know, I'm surprised Detroit didn't, didn't go wild.
4: Yeah we had awesome. uh we had some um in denver
5: yeah in minneapolis where that uh 2020 started it was like i mean i i don't know minneapolis i've been to minneapolis i've been to st paul seems like things are worse in st paul hmm. but i always thought in minneapolis would be like the least likely place like it was so chill when i was there i was there in 2017 2018 i think yeah, it just shocked me that that's the place that would get going super crazy.
4: Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a lot of racial tension there. Uh, there's a lot of immigrants from... Uh, Somalia, you know? Yeah, Somalia, yep. Yeah. And there's a lot of, you know, redlining and other other things that have been done there. That's true. Um, so I think it was just one of those, um, you know, like what is it pots ready to burst or I don't I'm forgetting the analogy but mm. um it boiled over obviously in 2020 with all that yeah and I mean when you have the microscope on your city like that during um, the pandemic I mean it just I don't I don't think it's that easy to repli- replicate that level of response again because it was kind of a pandemic thing too but
5: yeah same um, with the pandemic too that's gonna be hard to replicate
4: Right. Yeah. They're going to have to do something, something different. Yeah. Uh, But I just wanted to play that because I think it kind of gives you a little more insight into how these tactics are used. And this is, I mean, these are old tactics. This is an old playbook that was brought out by this group in the U S maybe for the first time, or, you know, one of the more, uh, obvious examples of it, I guess. Yeah. Um, But I wanted to play another clip where I think it was a member of SDS or I don't think he actually joined the weatherman, but he's kind of critiquing where they were heading and where their ideology was taking them, uh, which many other people have been down this road before. And it's not really, um, It's not a good road to be down. Not good company, if you ask me. They
0: were not brought. They brought themselves to that point. To the point at which they were ready to be mass murderers. This is mass murder we're talking about. They came to this conclusion, which is the conclusion that was come to by all the great killers. Whether Hitler or Stalin or Mao that they have a grand project for the transformation and purification of the world. And in the face of that project, ordinary life is dispensable. They joined that tradition.
9: On March 6, 1970, as the Weatherman Group on West 11th Street put the final touches on the bomb, there was a short circuit in the wiring, and the device accidentally exploded.
2: An expensive townhouse in New York's Greenwich Village was destroyed by three explosions, which killed at least three people.
4: Did you notice that last little bit there uh, that I found odd?
5: Uh, visually or?
4: Uh, the no, the, the information about the event.
5: The 33, three bombs that killed three people?
4: <laughs> I actually didn't pick that one up. Um, now listen again and tell me if you... Notice anything strange from what they say about it? Let's go back. Here we go. And
9: the device accidentally exploded.
2: An expensive townhouse in New York's Greenwich Village was destroyed by three explosions. Expensive
4: townhouse? (laughs)
2: Yeah.
4: Yeah. These guys are underground, right?
5: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I know they this- were they were hiding in and a lot of like I I remember this incident too. And but they had a lot of rich friends that were like right part mm-hmm. of the group or they brought in probably to use
11: because
5: like well, a few a few of them ended up taking the fall for a lot of this stuff.
4: You know, um, now that you're saying that, let me uh, let me just shift to the next clip because uh yeah, for one, I I mean, they had a lot of connections. Um Bernadine Dorn worked mm-hmm. for the National Lawyers Guild. She was married to Bill Ayers. Yeah, yeah. They were like you know, the pretty much the face of it, but and, and I I don't know where she went to school. I can look that up. Uh but I know Bill Ayers went to the University of Michigan. Um they have a lot of lawyer friends. Uh and we'll get to further down this rabbit hole in a little bit, but they have a lot of institutional help um, and monetary help. And so you said people took the fall for um, some of the things that they did. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, let me just fast forward here and um, I'll let them.
5: Uh, She went to the university of Chicago, you know, okay, there you go. Yeah.
4: There you go. Um, okay. I, I, would, I would... Oh, wait. Wrong one. Hold on. Uh, one second.
5: Oh, she was a cheerleader, too. <laughs> Treasurer for the modern dance school.
9: By the end of the 70s, almost all of the members of the weather underground had turned themselves in few ended up going to prison ironically the government was forced to drop most of the charges against them when it became clear how much the fbi had broken the law in pursuing the group
4: yeah so the F- fbi got <clears throat> somehow the the one of the more radical uh, political groups that bombed very important buildings, mm-hmm. you know, places that had been stormed. In other instances, somehow the the FBI just they 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 were doing illegal things and they just couldn't bust them. Mm-hmm. It's kind of an open shut case, but you know maybe they the they were doing some shady shit with COINTELPRO Pro and the FBI and maybe the courts were more, uh, you know. <clears throat> In favor of overturning that case, but clearly uh, to get off of all of those events is pretty impressive, if you ask me.
5: Oh, yeah. I mean, you're talking treason?
4: Yeah. I mean, if yeah. you're, you know, I don't like the word terrorism because I think it it's kind of undermines. Our constitutional rights but af- absolutely i mean that's the defi-
5: yeah that's the definition of what they're doing
4: yeah if you're going to use that definition uh they're they're doing organized criminal uh political acts uh to yeah and intentionally to overthrow the government and uh, that yeah. was their intent yeah um and uh there's the, the interview a lot of the members and this one lady I, it just stuck with me how she felt about her time and it's emblematic of Bill Ayers and Bernadine Dorn and almost everyone else that's interviewed from the Weather Underground about how they feel about what they did um, because they don't really uh, they don't let's let's just say they don't have a lot of regrets. I, I
9: would I would do it again. I'd like to do it better, differently, smarter, but <laughs>
5: yeah,
9: in revolutionary context. If I didn't have my old parents and my young kid, I would certainly do it again. I would certainly want to be part of an emerging revolution again. It was a precious, precious opportunity. Precious. And I think we came close. I mean, I think the world came close to seeing those major changes. And I think that that.
5: Notice how she goes from makes a difference. she's like, I think we and mm-hmm. then she turned it from the individual into the collective of mm. the world King calls. Did you, did you catch that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I find that interesting considering their political backgrounds of uh, collectivism.
4: Yeah, where they're well, they yeah, they're they're tapped into that you know, worldwide revolution. Yeah, they, they
5: want you to believe it's for the, for the good of the, uh, the collective, for everybody.
4: Oh, for sure. But it's, it's really a, for them. It's a, what did she say? It's a precious, precious thing, right? Yeah. It's precious. For her. Uh, no regrets, you know, and, you know, in terms of the ability
9: of movements for change to emerge in the future. The fact that there's a history of resistance, there's a history of white people's participation in resistance, I think makes a difference to, the ability of that kind of resistance to emerge again. Do you think it will? I think it already is.
5: Ooh.
4: All right.
5: So cliche. It already is. Uh, that, this poor guy. I think. <laughs> didn't, didn't he get tagged for it?
4: No, no, no? he no no. But, uh, everyone in this documentary um, didn't didn't face prison time which, you know, very very convenient for them. But yeah. I wanted to play, since she said, she oh, she'd do it again, she, uh, I just want to ask, uh, would she do um, this again?
7: I brought up the subject of what's going to happen after we take over the government. Uh, you know, we, we become responsible then for administrating, you know, 250 million people. And there was no answers. No one had given any thought to economics. How are you going to clothe and feed these people? The only thing that I could get was that they expected that the Cubans and the North Vietnamese and the Chinese and the Russians would all want to occupy different portions of the United States. They also believed that their immediate responsibility would be to protect against what they called the counter-revolution. And uh, they felt that this counter-revolution could best be guarded against by creating and establishing re-education centers in the Southwest uh, where we would take all the people who needed to be re-educated into the new way of thinking and teach them how things were going to be. I ask, well, what is going to happen to those people that we can't re-educate, that are diehard capitalists? And the reply was that they'd have to be eliminated. And when I pursued this further, they estimated that they would have to eliminate 25 million people in these re-education centers. And when I say eliminate, I mean kill 25 million people. I want you to imagine sitting in a room with 25 people, most of which have graduate degrees from Columbia Mm. and other well-known educational centers, and hear them figuring out the logistics for the elimination of 25 million people. And-
4: it was a precious, precious time. Wow. Wow. I'd do it again.
5: Yeah, if it weren't for my kid, <laughs> and my mama. But- I, th-
0: I think it is coming.
4: She seems kind of semi delusional about what she did and uh kind of in a cult, if you ask me.
5: Yeah, yeah. A
4: little cultish.
5: Yeah, they're all screwing. Oh yeah. Drugged. Oh yeah. You know, they messed up their minds pretty bad. Yeah. Well now you got me on this list. There's there's so many people in here. There's like a good I don't know, twenty ten, twenty, thirty, forty. 50, maybe 60 people in this group.
4: Oh, in the weather underground, you're saying? Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't that big.
5: Yeah. That still um, seems like a lot.
4: But, you know, to be underground and doing that, yeah, they, you know.
5: How they didn't get caught or why the FBI had to be do illegal things to catch them is beyond me.
4: Right. I mean, <laughs> and the way they talk about it, it's like they, they're admitting that they did it. Uh, but I guess... You know, because of those technicalities, they can't prosecute. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but the way Bill Ayers speaks about uh, his time—I mean, he's—he said some crazy statements since then. Uh, right? <clears throat> oh, sorry. Uh, just before uh, what was it? No, it's not in. He had a memoir in two thousand one. And basically, let's see here, I wanted to he pretty much was saying that the attacks were justified um, And he said that he doesn't regret setting the bombs. I feel we didn't do enough. The
6: three people uh, when asked
4: if he would do it all all again, he said, "I don't want to discount the possibility. It's in two thousand
5: one. Ah, that's very tricky language.
4: Yeah, he is. He knows how to.
5: That's some Fauci weasel. language. He
4: knows how. Yeah, he knows how to weasel out of things, and he does yeah. that a lot. Uh, and then he's like, "Oh, the context was distorted." Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I was talking about stopping U.S. efforts in Vietnam, but he, he's implying that, and you know, with how hard they come down on. A lot of the uh, January 6th people in relation to any connection they had to that event, and then you see this guy just strolling around. And mm-hmm. where where did Bill Ayers end up after um, after he, you know he got off on this crime spree? Was oh he just was at the University of Illinois, you know, as a professor for you know a few decades. Yeah, uh, what was
5: he teaching? Uh, I Church? believe.
4: I think it was uh, I think it was like education or politics uh, Let me see here Well he was very involved In the education system um, Yeah He he taught at the College of Education Interests included wow. teaching for social justice uh, Urban Educational reform Narrative and interpretive Research Children in trouble with the law Related issues uh, So he also earned a, his master's in education from Bank Street College. I don't not familiar with that, uh, and also a master's in Ed at the same time uh, later. Oh, at Columbia mm-hmm. hey. in Chicago. And where did Bernadine Dorn, his wife, end up? Who remi- r- reminder, guys, they're communists. You know, they're they're revolutionaries, they're counterculture. So where does Bernadine Dorn end up after they get off on this crime spree? I
5: want to say somewhere in the government.
4: Well, it'd be the Sidley and Austin law firm, which if you look it up, uh, they're one of the biggest multinational law firms <laughs> in the world, Um, and, which seems kind of, you know, against fighting the uh, the capitalist regime, because this this fucking outfit got caught up in the savings and loan crisis in the eighties. Wow, are you familiar with that?
2: Uh,
5: not intricately.
4: Yeah, I, the it's it was basically a scam that was committed on Wall, another Wall Street scam. I don't know the specifics of it, um, uh, but they got let's just say they got caught up in it. And you have a, a, a ex or current communist revolutionary as a lawyer you know why i don't know maybe bernadine dorn isn't fighting the man yeah but it's very very strange that that's that's your uh, that's your path right
5: well it looks like she got picked up probably a decade after when optics were good in 84 she was hired by howard triennes triennens trannens mm-hmm. french probably french head of the law firm who knew Thomas Ayers' father-in-law. So who are these people? Like, who are their parents?
4: Well, so well that brings up uh, my my next point is, who is Thomas Ayers? Bill Ayers' dad. Let's see. Well, this guy had to be one of the most connected people in Chicago at the time because let's just read his uh, credentials here. Ayers served as chairman of the board of trustees of Northwestern University, the Erickson Institute, the Bank Street College of Education. Oh, that's where Bill went afterward. Okay, the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, the Chicago Community Trust, the Chicago Urban League, the Community Renewal Society, the Chicago Association of Commerce and Industry, Chicago United, the Leadership Council for Metropolitan Open Communities and Dearborn Park Corp and served as vice president of the Chicago Board of Education. Ayers, it goes on, Ayers also served on the board of directors of Sears, G.D. Searle, Chicago Pacific Corp., Zenith Corp., Northwest Industries, General Dynamics Corporation, First National Bank of Chicago, the Chicago Cubs, and the Tribune Company. (laughs) I mean, how, how did he have time for all these organizations, for one? But holy shit.
5: Yeah,
4: yeah, that guy. You could not find a guy who's more connected,
5: and a guy who has a a smaller Wikipedia.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's not like, much.
5: No, there's really not.
4: There's not much, but he. Uh, <clears throat> so he clearly also helped Bernadine Dorn, who um, I, I have to point out that the Sidley and Sidley Austin. Can you guess who else uh, happened to, you know, go there? Oh, Michelle and, Obama? Uh, well, <clears throat> yeah, it would be uh it'd be both of them. Really? They're both there. Now. That's where they met? Oh. No. Yeah. No. Oh, yeah, let's find this clip. I have it uh Big Meach. <laughs>
5: In Austin. S- S- uh, Sidley Austin. Awesome. I think it's
4: in, it's. I it's think they have offices in Chicago. Yeah, he was he, he was it. a summer associate here. Let's let's, ah.
2: let's
4: get to
0: Barack I was a summer associate in Chicago at, at
12: Sidley and Austin, uh, and I met my wife there. So I don't know whether you guys got anything going.
5: <laughs> Why are you laughing?
2: I just, I just want you to know <laughs> <laughs> we've now
0: been married 15 years. <laughs> Either of us are still at the firm, but you
5: know, <laughs> there are other there are other aspects to this whole summer associate thing. Uh, this what second, just point out is uh, you know going to Yankees games and eating at fancy restaurants and all that stuff uh, that
3: won't happen once you're an associate.
4: All right, yeah, the yucking it up at his huh. old law firm, where Bill Ayer's wife uh, happened to get a cush job after being a domestic terrorist and where he met Michelle. Sheesh. Go figure. And uh, so Barack Obama also started his uh, political career in, uh, I think with Bill Ayers present, if not at his house, if I'm not mistaken. So this guy, I mean, the Ayers family very, very connected into the Chicago po- political scene. Yeah. Uh, Bill Ayers, I i mean, based on his father, it wouldn't surprise me if Thomas either put Bill up to it or just enabled his son to do this type of activism. But he was almost Thomas Ayers was like the more legitimate face of the same type of um activism, but more covertly and, you know, above ground, whereas his son was under the ground.
5: Yeah, so his dad Thomas would have been about 25, 24, that, you know, that age, around the time of World War Two. whether he served or not, who knows. Mm-hmm. But um, in those impressionable ages of, like, let's say, I don't know, 15 to 25, let's just say, then he was... Around that time where the uh, communism was, uh, the communism and the uh, mysticism, the new intellectual thought, the new thought clubs were happening in the late 20s and 30s.
10: Mm.
5: You know what I mean? Those uh, esoteric manifesting societies.
4: Like the Theosophy Society? Sure, yeah. And,
5: And many of them. There's so many of them. So much was going on back in that era. But Who's Thomas Ayers' father? Is what I really want to know. Yeah, that's that is a good question. I didn't he was a CEO of Commonwealth Edison, <laughs> yeah, a little, a little boy out of Detroit. Uh-huh. I don't know, that's seems like there's more to that
4: story. <clears throat> I just want to point out also he has another son, John Ayers, who was. On the staff of a former U.S. representative and a national leader in charter school development. So this whole family is very invested in education. Um, Yeah,
5: and politician making it. uh,
4: Yeah, king making essentially. (laughs) It strikes me. I wouldn't be surprised if Thomas Ayers is involved in those uh, organizations, those occult secret society type organizations as well as he seems very probably intelligence connected. I mean, Sidley Austin strikes me as some type of, you know, CIA connected outfit or or something along those lines. Chicago in general is just spook central. It's, yeah, it's really no joke. Yeah. Um, so another uh, organization, I mentioned that Bernadine Dorn was in the National Lawyers Guild. And this organization is very, uh, also very interesting. They were founded in 1937 as an alternative to the American Bar Association. Very uh, progressive minded, but more so just straight up, you know, communist. Um, They have a lot of different connections to uh, a lot of this stuff. And, Uh, They also were very instrumental during 2020 in helping to bail out protesters. And I wanted to play this clip that kind of illustrates that this organization is a linkage between groups like the Weather Underground and Antifa today.
8: The death of George Floyd at the hands of police sparked protests and riots around the country. But the early spontaneous protests were followed by 19 months of unrest with some of the worst rioting perpetrated by self-described anti-fascists or Antifa in the Pacific Northwest. How did these often violent extremists take over whole city blocks as they did in Seattle or engage in 200 days of nightly rioting as they did in Portland without local police or officials stopping them? One part of the answer is they had lawyers funded by deep pockets on the left. The National Lawyers Guild, a nonprofit group of left-wing attorneys and other legal professionals were key in helping coordinate legal support for more than 20,000 arrested protesters. in In his book, Unmasked Inside Antifa's Radical Plan to Destroy Democracy, Journalist Andy Ngo went so far as to call the Guild, in effect, the legal arm of Antifa. While Americans watched their cities burn night after night on the evening news, the Guild arranged legal representation for protesters and sent letters to the Biden administration urging them to drop charges against rioters, even criminals who had firebombed buildings or menaced innocent citizens. While the mainstream media mostly hid the Guild's role in these protests, The group's aid to extremists goes way back. Its efforts to foster and protect radicalism through legal work began in the late 1930s. By 1940, the group was so dominated by communist party members that its left-of-center non-communist members were abandoning it en masse, as three-quarters of the membership resigned. Later in the 1960s, some guild members were involved with extremist groups like the Weather Underground, which was dedicated to the violent overthrow of the US government. The Weather Underground's tactics included intimidation, bomb making, and calls for assassinations of police and military members. Bernadine Dorn, the famous wife of Barack Obama's friend, Bill Ayers, became the National Lawyers Guild's student organizer in 1967 and spoke at the Guild's 1970 convention while simultaneously serving as top Weather Underground leader. In his book, Days of Rage, America's Radical Underground, the FBI, and the Forgotten Age of Revolutionary Violence, journalist Brian Burrow writes that a relatively small group of radical lawyers, almost all of whom belonged to the National Lawyers Guild, were by far the most important single source of money for the Weathermen. The Guild's work of sowing discord, promoting violent radicalism, and defending the purveyors of both continues today as the Guild protects extremists like Antifa. In fact, the Guild has publicly supported Antifa's actions, declaring that it will continue to support anti-fascists and anti-racists in the streets and in the courts, and will not be swayed by the argument that hateful, dangerous speech should be tolerated at any cost. Ominously, the Guild is growing. According to its 2020 annual report, membership remained relatively flat at fewer than 2,500 from 2005 to 2015, but after 2015, it began to grow dramatically with 5,000 new members joining its ranks in 2020 alone. That roughly coincides with Antifa's own growth. As radicals spouted woke orthodoxy while they burned down American cities during the summer of 2020, They were protected and sheltered by highly educated and politically aligned attorneys at the National Lawyers Guild. Meanwhile, Americans who assumed the riots were about the death of George Floyd didn't realize the attempted overthrow of the rule of law that they were watching had been planned nearly a century in advance.
4: These guys are connected. Yeah. <laughs> I mean this is they've been around almost uh, like 90 years.
5: Yeah, that's what that's that's that era. That's that era that I'm talking about. That like weird I mean a lot of things coalesced at the same time, like off topic, like Federal Reserve, 1913 era, World War One What else came that way? Income tax came that way. I mean that's just some surface government shit, but at the same time there was some something brewing. Sure. Underneath. Like what didn't the Socialist Party get a shit ton of votes at some point? The saying turn...
4: Eugene Debs or
5: Yeah, yeah, yeah. The turn of the century. Like whatever started happening, you know, preamble to like the Bolshevik Revolution is is some some really crazy shit. A lot of interconnectedness i think that still goes on today but
4: well the communist manifesto was written like what 1870 or so you had like
5: 30 years for that to
4: kind of brew right into, <clears throat> you had a <throat> whole
5: into a generation yeah
4: yep and then that just has continued to kind of grow in the background yeah amongst uh,
5: some rich people though people with money <laughs> well, yeah which is
4: enough. yeah you would think that's counterintuitive yeah that uh, that why why would they care? And then also why would again why would avowed communists go work for Sidley and Austin?
5: Well, I think because the the communists or people that understand and promote communists know that there's a ruling class on top, and I think potentially that since we haven't achieved it yet, that ruling class on top is still yet to be determined. No.
4: Well, there. Yeah, I mean, there's certainly I think in the great dialectic that uh, plays out on a on many uh, stages it's basically they're using the communists are one part of the dialectic because you have two generally op- opposite ends opposing one another sure and that that conflict creates history and plain and knowing that history is, mostly driven by conflict between two forces, if you had studied history and you understood that being the elite class, you would probably want to create both sides. Uh, And I think that's where, I don't know if you know Anthony Sutton at all. No. I want want to jump ahead here a little bit um, because it's relevant to this this whole conversation
0: because it's about the hegelian dialectic
4: okay
5: we'll get
0: into this later the method they use is that of the hegelian dialectic
5: this is anthony sutton
0: Uh played against antithesis leads to synthesis in other words for hegel for history to make progress you have to have conflict and when you look at the key people in the order you will find that they generate conflict so Bush and Harriman politically are conflicting Um Coffin and Buckley, although part of the same order, are in public conflicting with one another because conflict leads to the new synthesis.
9: the order want to accomplish in the Bolshevik Revolution?
0: You create opposing forces which you place in conflict. Out of conflict, you've got profit, you've got political power, and you can direct history. And if you look at the writings, for example, of the Trilateral Commission, they talk openly in the Trilateral Commission about managing conflict, not solving conflicts, but managing, managing conflicts. Conflict, conflict yeah. management, that's, yeah. that's the, that's the, uh, the cry.
9: So they got the profit, the power, and the management. Mm-hmm. Where do they want to steer history through the Bolshevik Revolution?
0: They wanted to set up, and they did, the two opposing forces. Out of that came World War Two.
5: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, World War Two does not fascinate me as much as World War I.
4: I, I need to do more research into World War One for isn't that it, reason, I think.
5: Isn't it crazy how, like, that was the first one, and we always study and are <laughs> bombarded with, like... It's very true, yeah. And by World War Two, I mean, you're just, like, mincing over details of what happened, you know? And,
4: I think... I feel like maybe this is a... It, like maybe there is something to avoiding World War One, but from a Hollywood perspective, I feel like World War Two is just it's it's got all the all the elements in yeah. play, you know, and yeah. they got better weapons and it's like Rocky Two or Rocky Four, you know. Yeah, there's only so many so many movies that can be made out of trench warfare, and so yeah. it could be <laughs> as. But I I agree, sure there is more to that story that hasn't been told. Yeah, um, much like World War Two as well to the yeah. general masses anyway, but. Yeah. If you know, so if you know that we, you know, you're consolidating your wealth, you're doing all this shady shit behind the scenes, starting wars. You know, you're the elites, right? You know yeah. that. At if you're in, point,
5: yeah, if you're in the business of managing conflict,
4: then yeah, you're an elite, yeah. For sure. But if you are, if you are aware of the fact that what you're doing is eventually going to lead to some type of reaction from the masses, you'd be at a disadvantage to just let it happen organically. You don't want, you don't want a trucker convoy coming at you, right? You know? So you, instead you send in an element that is in a strong opposition to one particular thing, whether it's class or, you know, recently like race or, Whatever the issue is, and you, you harness that energy and fuel, you know, fuel it to a limited hangout kind of it means uh, that's just cr- creating that synthesis and also accomplishing some other goals in the background, um, reduction of rights or whatever it is th- through that conflict that, you know, we saw that with the war on terror, that, that, uh, yeah, that, stuff's all,
5: that stuff's all house money. You know, it's like, let it ride. That's whatever comes out of that comes out of that.
4: Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's very easy to profit from it from that perspective. But if you have, if you have a, an arc of history that you're trying to achieve, uh, whatever it is, you would want to, you want to write the script. In order to write the script, you got to write the guy that's opposing you, the, the man of the people. And um, that's, ki- that's kind of how I view uh, communism. And it, actually, it's uh, c- communism and capitalism, I should say. And this next clip from An- Anthony Sutton really
0: uh, illustrates that. But the, one of the first things you learn in this business is forget about cam- capitalism versus communism. That is absolute nonsense. The two are behind the scenes, are hand in
9: hand. It's a capitalist communist conspiracy. One conspiracy.
0: Yes, but you need the you need the so-called conflict between the two to keep people focusing. Look, they keep you looking over there. You know, capitalism versus communism. You know, that makes a nice little picture. You know, you get books on it and films on it. Ugh, capitalism versus communism. That's not where the action is. The action's over here.
4: Oh, which is where? Where uh, the Hegelists or the yeah. the cultists? Yeah, I mean, you're you're saying. But yeah. I mean. There's an occult element to, to communism uh, as well, where, you know, the people on the bottom don't really know what the ultimate goals are. And the, the people on the top might not even know that they're actually the person on the top, you know. Right. right. Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, if you know that, and there's a lot of evidence, the Rothschilds and Wall Street funded the Bolshevik Revolution. An- Anthony Sutton gets into that and also yeah. funded Hitler. Yeah. Yeah, uh, you had Bush's grand and father. Yeah, and not the in the
5: whole, but they all they all were uh, within a group that did. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. I just want to be make that clear distinction that there's not just one person or family funding all this. It's, it's no, it's it, it's a
4: yeah. It, the Rothschilds and Rockefellers are the at, like at the front, but there's many other yeah. people involved outside of that. Uh, but, you know, it's interesting, you know, I was trying to reflect on the, the level of institutional cover that Bill Ayers and Bernadine Dorn got after doing what they did is almost unprecedented Out uh, in terms of the other way around, where right wing people who committed crimes had the institutional cover and they got off, with the exception of the Bush family, in terms of... Um, you know, funding Hitler and all that—that was kind of like they were the, but they were the fascist funders, and then you got the communist funders and the enablers. But as we've realized, the Bushes aren't really on the right or whatever you want to frame it. They're they're globalists. They're yeah. they see the grand yeah. game. They're Hegelists, you know. Yeah. So that that's just you know, capitalist, communist is just a word, it, and it achieve if it achieves the same outcome. Which, if you look at China versus the U- United States. We're, get, we're getting to the same end goal through different means. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least that's the track we're on. I hope we don't go that way, but the, yeah. it's it's the same playbook. So it doesn't matter what the system is. If you just play, are constantly playing each off each other. Uh, no matter which side wins, the elites still win right. in that under that uh, setup. So it makes sense. Um Although it still blows my mind that they didn't – almost, I should say, none of them went to jail for doing anything they did. But do you know who did go to jail?
5: Yeah, some dude that like 18 years later or something, they found him, didn't they? Um,
4: No. So the prominent members that went to jail were Kathy Boudin and David Gilbert and they were arrested because they were involved in an armed robbery that killed two police officers right, and it was yeah. a total it wasn't just like you know the the narrative they try to say is that oh it just ha- we were just the drivers we didn't know it was going to happen but the the story is much more blatant that they they got out of the car they surrendered and then the i think they were with the black liberation army and they they came out and shot and killed police officers uh, so they they were a part of the setup. It wasn't just like accomplices, but
5: that was uh yeah Kathy Boudin, yeah. Kathy
4: Boudin yeah, yeah, and David Gilbert, and they were arrested and um they served. I think they both were in jail for twenty or thirty years. Um Boudin got on parole in tw- parole in twenty or sorry uh, two thousand three, but David Gilbert had his sentence commuted by uh, Andrew Cu- Cuomo. Right before he resigned, <laughs> would you just just doing favors on the on the way out to just this lowly uh, <laughs> domestic terrorist that was charged with you know murder? Um, wow! But <clears throat> wouldn't Ooh. you know it? Uh, does the name does the Boudin name ring any bells like to you? Bu-
5: like Boudini?
4: <laughs> Boudini?
5: No. Um... No,
4: B-O-U-D-I-N? Uh-huh. No. So, <clears throat> well, let me just start from the top. Louis Boudin was Kathy Boudin's father, and he was very influential in helping the, the National Lawyers Guild.
5: Okay, is this a reference to the guy that died that was the cook? The
4: chef? Uh, <clears throat> no.
5: Anthony, oh, that's Bourdain. Never mind. Oh, Bourdain yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I thought you were going to go down this rabbit hole. No. Which, uh, oh, okay. So,
4: so Kathy's father yeah. was influential in the National Lawyers Guild, which is the legal arm for the Weather Underground and then becomes the, you know, for Antifa. And, you know, Kathy went to prison. But who's Kathy's son? Well, that's Chesa Boudin. Who, uh, up until just last year, was the district attorney for San Francisco. Yeah, okay. He's like a... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, it runs in the family, right? Wow. So, Chesa Boudin, and as we have seen in cities around the country in the last few years, there's been this phenomenon of district attorneys not trying to prosecute certain crimes and instituting crimes of need where you can steal under a thousand dollars and not face any penalty and getting rid of cash bail to just let people out right after they commit a crime and what do you know they do it again this he is a part of that that whole movement yeah which uh you know was kind of started by um our friend soros and i wanted to play this clip of Just about (laughs) what's going on. What's up with this? The rogue
11: prosecutor movement stems from the basic idea that the entire criminal justice system is racists. And as pro-criminal anti-victim zealots bought and paid for by George Soros and tech billionaires, they adopt pro-criminal policies. They choose large categories of crimes not to prosecute in Fairfax County, which is near Washington, D.C., Steve Descano is the rogue prosecutor elected in large part because of George Soros' money. George Soros contributed 75%, more or less, uh, of the total amount of money Steve Descano got to his campaign. Without Soros' money, Steve Descano and these other rogue prosecutors simply would not have been elected. The prosecutor in the American criminal justice system occupies a unique role. Her job is to enforce the criminal law of the state legislature as passed and signed by the governor or the federal law passed by Congress and signed by the president. Their job is to do justice. It's not to get convictions. We have an adversarial system in our country. You have strong ethical prosecutors representing the people and you have strong zealous criminal defense attorneys representing those charged with crimes. Rogue prosecutors upend that. They uh, erase the wall between prosecution and defense by taking a pro-defense, anti-victim stance, refuse to enforce large swaths of crimes across the book under the guise of prosecutorial discretion. It has nothing to do with prosecutorial discretion. As a result, crime explodes in the cities where they've been elected. For example, in Boston, uh, Rachel Rollins, the rogue prosecutor of Suffolk County, lists on her website 15 crimes you can commit in Boston. That includes possession with intent to distribute. Any drug, resisting arrest of a police officer, breaking and entering a house. The irony is that breaking and entering
4: a house (laughs) Uh, and you put that on, just put that online. I just
11: want to point that out uh, at the people who are getting murdered and raped and robbed the most are black and brown, poor people in the inner city. The very policies they promote are the policies that are causing death and destruction and rapes in the very cities they pretend to care about.
4: Wow. So yeah. our boy Chessa. Chessa. Chessa,
5: Chessa, Chessa. Boudin.
4: Is that quite
5: a family? Yeah. Mystery on his mom's side.
4: Louis Boudin, man. So who is Louis Boudin? Well, he was a Russian-born Marxist theoretician. Uh, and You know, he immigrated from from Russia. Was this his grandfather? His grandfather settled in New York City. You know, and he was very involved in left wing causes. But uh, yeah, he was a a big funder of the National Lawyers Guild. And uh, this I, I would like to find out more about his family I just, you know, I was so deep down this rabbit hole, I didn't have time. But you can just continue to pull threads because yeah. clearly there's something going on with the Ayers family and the Boudin family, and I'm sure the Dorn family. Actually, it's something. Uh, they changed their name.
5: Yeah, from, from Dorn something, so, something. something
4: along those lines. Um. So. Th- yeah, this guy is just his legacy lives on and thankfully chessa got booted out of office um oh, last year out. because yeah he got voted out i mean even in san francisco it went too far wow um but there people have argued that chessa Boudin was pretty much on a legal level continuing the vision of the weather underground and yeah. getting rid of mass incarceration like not you know very um soft on crime shall we say
5: yeah and he's a road scholar oh yeah
4: isn't that isn't that interesting so yeah i I noticed that again nothing says threat to the establishment quite like being a road scholar
5: right or uh he also served as a translator in the venezuelan presidential palace oh yeah okay. <laughs> admin of hugo chavez what yeah before dude. law school hey i'm just chilling and it looks like he also got on his road scholarship talking about these uh uh graduate degrees here um one in forced migration and the other in public policy in latin america which is you know, well-known for those Marxist students to really glom on to the plight and history of Latin America plus Cuba. Mm. Yeah, right. Um, but forced migration, I didn't even know that was a degree, <laughs> which is an involuntary or coerced movement of a person or people away from their homes or home region.
4: So it's um, refugee, study of refugees. Like
5: forced <laughs> coerced refugees oh yeah so coercing a group of people to leave one place to go to another and i imagine the study is in how do you determine where they go
4: or where they come from I, w- <clears> yeah. I wonder i wonder if uh Chesa has won any uh Kalergi awards or <laughs> <laughs>
5: what's Kalergi.
4: <laughs> well that's the whole Kalergi plan that's been floated oh around, in europe but they, but they actually give awards like i think um the german prime minister was was her name angela merkel got one
5: oh nice what she do just build a whole community for i mean uh, just
4: being very Moroccans. accepting of all of the refugees from our middle east wars you know right right just, you, you do, oh, took one for the team and
5: there's a non-sarcastic award for it like there's an actual yeah like, no I I, I, I think no agenda war. was
4: I'm pretty sure no agenda played some clips uh, oh a while gosh. back from the which is it's right in your face and then if you bring up like the curler you plan to you know I think I'm just gonna paraphrase the theory but it's just to make countries less homogeneous and more yeah, diverse yeah. Uh, just around the world and, yeah you know turn everybody into uh, melting pots right drones basically yeah yeah. Um, because sometimes that's easier to control. Hey, you have more sides to play off of one another. I mean, the Hegelists love that shit. I mean, it's yeah. believable.
5: I mean, we don't want individuals with pride about their upbringing or where they come from mm-hmm. or where their
4: families come from. Yeah, totally. So, uh funny enough, Chessa, because, because his mom and dad went to uh, prison for so long, do you know who raised him? I'm gonna guess Ayers. You are correct. Yes, yeah. Bill Ayers. And I was Bern gonna Dorn. say Big Meach, but that was a little. Yeah, Chessa was Yeah, a very fatherly inf- influence there. Oh, okay, so
5: did they ever have any kids of their own?
4: Uh, the Ayers. Big, oh, um, <clears throat> yes. Well, funny you say that because that <laughs> that leads perfectly into my next clip from Zane Dorn. Who oh, was God? Uh, yeah. What is it? Yeah, right. God. Yeah. Just granola eating fucking parents, right? Granola yeah. eating, bombing parents, you know? Yeah. They love those, uh, oats and chemicals. Um, so he, he came out with a show actually known as a podcast and I didn't have time to listen to it. Would, oh, would God. like to listen. Yeah. Uh, so Zane Dorn, this is an interview he gave, I think, with like another podcast. And he's just talking about, you know, his experience with having his parents, uh, you know, and I'm sure it's it's very non-biased, um, which I can kind of tell from this interview. But he is asked um, about the Weather Underground and if they were terrorists. And then he's also asked uh about another group uh involved in current events
13: i don't think they were terrorists and i think uh ultimately you know the people who were dying in the 1960s and 1970s were you know vietnamese people overseas and black people here at home so the terror that was being felt was really among these kind of marginalized oppressed populations and the terrorists at the time the biggest terrorist was the united states government so it's tricky. I'm, I don't mean to justify the kind of violent actions oh, that, that the Weather Underground were carrying out, but I think the word terrorist is is misapplied to them.
11: Right now, the country is watching the proceedings of the January 6th committee as they look at a, another group of insurrectionists, of people who tried to overthrow the U.S. government. Do you think <laughs> it's fair to compare the Weather Underground with the January 6th insurrectionists? no. Oh.
13: I think it's fair to raise the question, but I would argue that that the comparison falls apart pretty quickly. I mean, to me, it's, it's, it is first of all important and, and we can get into the tactics and the question of, is it ever justifiable to use violence to try to overthrow a government? But I, I actually do think the, the ends matter, not that they justify the means, but that they matter. So it matters to me what you're fighting for. So if you compare the weathermen to the January 6th insurrectionists, the Weathermen were actually fighting systemic racism uh-huh. and a genocidal war. The January 6th insurrectionists are white nationalists fighting for <laughs> an authoritarian president who was literally sitting in the White House at that moment. So they were not a grassroots movement resisting uh, a oppressive government. They were oh, literally no. a, a sort of a fascist push that was trying to keep this authoritarian president in office, in, you know, contravening a democratic election. So I think it matters that one group was fighting for racism. One group was fighting against racism and so on. Oh,
4: what a, what a great framing you just did yeah, there fighting for racism, fighting for that's, that's totally what stop the steal was about. Yeah. Uh, it matter It just, I love that logic. It matters what you're fighting for. Yeah. That's, that is the, uh, I don't know what fallacy that is, but it's it's clearly not. Um... It's the
5: general fall. It's the uh, yeah, yeah, that's true fallacy.
4: Because
5: mm-hmm. obviously that's true. It does matter what you're fighting for.
4: In terms of uh, what in... you're doing in, in in relation to that.
5: No, just in in terms of fighting.
4: Yeah, so it, it, that on its surface is true, but. Yeah. The actions, you know, the, I'm not saying the ends justify the means, no. but, it, but they do. Essentially was what, what he said. Yeah, and I'm
5: just saying that that's how that comes across to the average listener. Like, mm. yeah, it does It does matter what you're fighting for.
4: Right. It's, because, I mean, it's, it's it a good line him, of argument.
5: Yeah, it gives him credibility. Mm-hmm. You know, not to us, but yeah.
4: Yeah, I mean, it's he was horrified sound... by that. But, you know, uh, you know, a few bombs going off in the Capitol. Which didn't happen, even though there were reports of bombs nearby, whatever. Which I don't think we ever found that that person. Yeah,
5: with all those uh, hours of footage, we never saw who put the bomb there. Nope.
4: No, 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 no. So you don't... <clears throat> I want to bring... I thought this was a, a funny example to bring in, in terms of the treatment between... This group coming from the left and January 6th coming from the right, and how they can be mythologized through all these different documentaries, the book you read, this podcast series, uh, hold, you know, institutional jobs in very um, influential positions. Yeah, absolutely. And get cover, get media cover, get them to not really cover or you know focus on what what they've done meanwhile you know the unannounced tour through the capital is treated with it's literally the worst thing since the civil war not even 9-11 you <laughs> yeah know?
5: those people had white privilege yet <laughs> weather <laughs> yeah. underground did not yeah uh okay.
4: weather men and women sure
5: weather people
4: yeah uh, yeah they were they did change from the weather men to the weather underground because of the gender so they were they were ahead of their time for that. Oh yeah. But it's uh, always been the time. What this example of how a group like the weather underground is treated in pop culture in mainstream news god I can not there were so many clips from Amy Goodman like fawning over the weather underground she interviewed you know the i think she interviewed chessa when his dad got out of prison and it was just like oh i'm so happy wow just it's nauseating but they have that but where are the podcasts of father country stormers or what you know where are where's the national lawyers guild for these people because some of them are still in prison i don't know if they're still in solitary but they're really having the book thrown at them in this way um but these guys don't and uh this is something are you familiar well we we were talking earlier about james Lindsay, but are you familiar with herbert marcusa and repressive tolerance have we talked about this topic before repressive
5: tolerance not specifically
4: so that the treatment of January 6th versus the weather underground, I think is a perfect example of repressive tolerance. And we are seeing it all across, you know, at, on every level level in terms of what is allowed on one side where you have the 2020 riots, continuous issues, whatever. And then you have just the one January 6th incident and it's literally treated as the worst thing ever. Meanwhile, everyone's getting bailed out and it's it's mostly peaceful it's mostly you know you, you don't get that mostly with january 6th even though you could certainly make that argument but yeah, um yeah. and this is what this is essentially repressive tolerance and it goes back to herbert marcusa's work who was angela davis's mentor and i'm, I'm sure bill ayers knew herbert marcusa oh uh, for sure for sure.
5: now that i know who his dad is yeah
4: yeah, exactly. And they're, they're running in the same circles. But this concept is very relevant to today.
1: Itself. He proposes as an alternative in this essay, liberating tolerance, um, because we live in a repressive society, he says, that we need to be liberated from, which is, means we need to become communist or socialist. Um he defines it this way. This is the thesis statement of the essay. He writes, liberating tolerance then would mean intolerance against movements from the right and toleration of movements from the left. As to the scope of this tolerance and intolerance, it would extend to the stage of action as well as of discussion and propaganda of deed as well as of word. And so he's quite explicit about this. Slightly before this in the essay, he discusses the concept of violence, and he explains how revolutionary or left-wing violence should be tolerated and is good, whereas reactionary violence, including self-defense, is always bad. And so, there's your explanation for how Kyle Rittenhouse was treated during the riots of 2020, the neo-Marxist riots of 2020. As a matter of fact, uh, using uh, coming out of BLM, which is a uh, racial Marxist front organization that is based off of Herbert Marcuse's exact ideas. If you wonder why certain things are suppressed on social media and through the mass media and other things are promoted, whether it's Hunter Biden's laptop uh, story, whether it's you know conservatives getting struck off of social media for saying that the, the trans women are men, whatever it happens to be, uh, repressive tolerance is your explanation for that. He goes further in the essay to explain. So we've heard about the idea that violence should be tolerated from the left. Well, even with these social media bans, we see even words should not and discussion should not be tolerated from the right. And then he says that what you must do is that you must withdraw tolerance before the idea can enter the reactionary right-winger's mind. Therefore, he says explicitly, this requires censorship and pre-censorship and then explains why that's justified. So for him, the left should be tolerated even when they're violent, no matter what their incursion, and the right must be uh, have all their tolerance withdrawn from them, including to the point of censorship and pre-censorship, so they can't even think their possible right-wing thoughts. That is the repressive tolerance of the world that we live in today. That's not what I expected it to be.
5: Okay. So, I mean, given Marcuse's who he is, that makes sense that he would choose the left to promote and basically silence the right. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. And he's the synthesis, I think, too, because he criticized both and the thing I found out about him recently was that he was, he was basically in the CIA, wasn't he? Or I, I prior think, yeah, he was in the him. OSS. Yeah, yep, yeah. And he criticized communism, hard communism, and then as well as capitalism. So
4: he was probably a a, a Hegelist, uh, yeah, type, type of guy.
5: You know, instead of choosing one side or the other of the two opposing opposites, he. Offers a yeah, see, this is a synthesis just to let the well, left keep going,
4: yeah, but make that um dialectic out of whack so it does favor the left. I mean, he clearly uh, he clearly made a choice on that. That's why I don't, this essay. yeah,
5: but I don't, I don't understand about the, and I feel like they'll always lose. I mean, as long as people that oppose them, these Hegelists, as you put it is that <laughs> um, he's still creating a, a, a new binary that needs a new synthesis by favoring the left and the right.
4: So what are you saying? Like, where, where does it go after that then? What's the...
5: That's a good question. I mean, that's what we're all here cooking up meals and waiting for, watching, watching unfold, you know? Mm-hmm. Lately, I've been feeling like less and less inclined to really get riled up about anything and just watch it because I feel like I know it's coming. I mean, on a long term, let's say biblical context, it would be, you know, whatever that final battle is. But in the meantime, it's probably just a mini, a bunch of mini little battles, just like that one will be. Mm-hmm. You know,
4: There'll sometimes you battle. Well, sometimes I wonder if this. Uh, balance that has gone in favor of you know repressing the right and having liberating tolerance of anything that's supposedly on the left Mm -hmm. and i i think when you do that level of balance you're encouraging a stronger counter-reaction by suppressing it and by um you know allowing all of this stuff that we saw where it it Basically, created more people that might want to join, like the Proud Boys or whatever. Um, but yeah, but beyond...
5: this, that's not going to get anywhere. Is no, it? I know. Yeah. But
4: <clears throat> what I'm saying is part of this play for the Hegelists could be to throw it so far out of whack that at some point it boils over. Uh, you know, the people who have been restrained may be pushed to their limit. And a lot of this, you know, strategy of tension and yeah. pushing sides back and forth, uh, it could be a setup to, and I think James Lindsay's talked about this specifically with drag Queens and how that's, you know, they, they almost want a martyr with that so that they can bring the hammer down again. Um, and he's been calling it like, don't give them drag Floyd essentially, but, um, <laughs> like, <laughs> you't don't, you don't want you don't want to have that that event that becomes the catalyst for that conflict, you know yeah, then
5: um, they got about like three or five to six years of history to kettle that one, whereas <laughs> African Americans had four yeah hundreds I mean, of years, you know
4: but the people that are passionate about that narrative and conflict are very passionate
5: yeah but um, i mean let, let's go back to what you're saying like are you you're... so wh-
4: well what i'm saying is on that level i do think that they could be setting up a reaction that does maybe resemble um some type of far right authoritarian boogeyman that they've been toying with forever and they're they're trying to create the conditions to make it more likely now whether it actually boils over is anyone's guess, but it's yeah. not to say that there isn't an element that um, is being toyed with by allowing this or by playing this out. So I- I've thought maybe it's a setup to if they bring that about, then they can say, see, America is is the, the white supremacist fascist like, oh, my God, the uh, whatever. Um, and they, they had that for for what January 6th was and what they painted it as. I think they really wanted it to be worse. I think they were hoping oh, it was going to yeah. be worse. Oh, yeah. So they have to say, like, oh, it was deadly. Like, yeah, only for the protesters at the day of, anyway. Yeah, the ones uh, you and, planted in there to make it
5: seem deadly. Yeah. Or to kick off the deadly.
4: Yeah, Ray Apps, but he's being tortured. No, no. Ray no. I'm talking tortured. about a
5: homegirl that got shot. Oh, if you're a if you're open to the theory that she got shot to kick off the
4: oh i, I didn't hear that theory the no oh, well, i yeah, just
5: no. i'm just throwing it out there
4: i mean well it's you could be right actually
5: i could be we'll never that's, know
4: it's all one of those things but yeah yeah i don't that's that's just one idea i've had that they're trying to initiate that because they're, they're playing dialectics, so yeah, yeah, they'll have somebody the, on that, the other right. side. Yeah. If the other side is being restrained uh, and not really fighting back with an equal opposite force, because there, it, it's you're in a defensive position when you don't have the media to cover to paint the narrative. Which is that's in a postmodern world, the narrative matters more than reality. I think COVID taught us that, that, you know, you don't, you don't have to have a new variant or like, it doesn't actually have to be that bad. The virus, Uh they they just could say whatever, hype it up, put the, you know, emblems on the TV and emergency alerts and just all of that to get you in that state. So when it comes to
5: first, they (laughs) have to get everybody in a state of feeling good, which is what leading up to 2020 felt good. Hmm. that whole 2019 didn't it to you felt like that to me and to a lot of people I know you, you're coming up on the year 2020 everyone's like yeah you know we're gonna 2020 vision there's just a whole bunch of memes surrounding it It's. Gonna I had be a good new
4: year I had a good new year into 2020.
5: yeah it was fun yeah it was great I Everybody last... was feeling awesome <laughs> yeah and like that's what you need first if you're gonna drop a bomb something like, you know like that kind of psychological bomb you know, bomb one more time for the censors. <laughs> but like, I, yeah, I mean, I'm with you on 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 what you're saying. I'm definitely, I feel that's a foot. I just feel it's all evil too, and not in opposition to what you're saying or to counter it or anything. I, I just that's how I've thought about these things too, and it's uh, it just feels like at this point they they've blown their wad. On at least this cycle, and I could be way wrong because things could get way worse. But on this cycle, it seems like they blew their wad. I mean, we'll see if they run big Meech out for president. It's all, all the cards are well. I mean, it, it isn't shuffling deck because
4: it is in Chicago in 2024. So, yeah, what better place, right?
5: Yeah. But I just, I don't know how far more the left can go in terms of who is going to be their leaders and their heroes. Maybe it doesn't matter. But I feel like that population is dwindling. Whereas there's more, I wouldn't say there's more in opposition to the left, but there's more on the sidelines like saying, uh, eh, it's not for me, you know? Like they thought it was, so that's where I wonder why, or I wonder how they're gonna, they're gonna either create a new dialectic, or they have to kind of synthesize real quick the one they got going
4: on. I mean, they're. I think they've been trying to stir that pot with the trans stuff. I don't like you said. I don't think it has as strong of a legs but at the same time it is kind of stewing in the background the whole drag queen stuff i think is to throw it in people's faces more again to elicit that reaction
5: yeah um, i know but the people they are doing it in front of just are, are i think they're smarter to to they're not as medicated as the left let's put it that way because i mm-hmm. think that was pretty easy to do because they're those youth are highly medicated
4: well i mean <clears throat> so it could it could go either way in this scenario so the the alternative to um what i said about this setting up a counter reaction would be to have the left actually go full-blown totalitarian do the maoist revolution or you know whatever version of that you're going to yeah. try to do maybe involving technocracy and um, AI, if we want to throw that into, but uh, yeah. however they, they throw the, the hammer down on the population. Um, and also because I mean, a lot of youth and college age kids are extremely indoctrinated into this. I don't know how much of uh, that that I'm seeing is just isolated, but it seems pretty prevalent uh, and has gotten worse Yeah, man, I
5: got seven, eight trans flags on my neighborhood this year. Oh
4: no! Yeah, wow. They're using them as curtains. (laughs) Curtains. Wait, uh, on one house or no? No, oh, seven houses. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Wow.
5: Yeah, probably more. I mean, I just, I just Uh, kind of gently notice them when I'm bike riding.
4: You don't see that, you know. I did notice that about Michigan that there are more the the sign people they like to have their sign out oh yeah and they're Yeah
5: out. next time you're here we'll go we'll just go for we'll we'll leave our wives <laughs> for a while and we'll go on like a 6 hour little journey around town that'll be fun it will be it will just be fun so many good eat spots man oh my god anyway
4: it has no me. has no home here.
5: Ah, uh, yeah. You don't even need words anymore. Maybe <laughs> we the yellow and gold or the blue and gold, <laughs> it's perfect. It's perfect for uh, U of M. It just lines up. It's really great.
4: Yeah. Well, Ann Arbor, as as we mentioned, this is where the weather underground started. So you, you're kind of in the belly of this beast right now.
5: Um, oh yeah, for sure. For sure, that's Spook Central over there.
4: Spook Central, yeah. Well, Colorado is as well, but oh yeah, in its in its own way. Oh yeah. So you know they were talking about BLM. They mentioned it through um, uh, a lot of different. Uh, what was it? The last thing I played maybe it was the Lawyer's Guild. Yeah, that's um.
5: So that's Marcus, you we played.
4: Yeah, Herbert Marcus. Sorry, um, yeah. but one of the last clips I was, you know, was brought in this topic and coincidentally uh, as you're probably aware there was a splinter group of the weather underground called the may 19th organization and they also did some bombings and one of the members was a woman by the name of susan rosenberg who has a, a, a strong a pretty strong connection to um BLM so despite its Christ.
6: immense political power and it does have immense power the group black lives matter isn't really much of a group it's a relatively small flimsy organization in fact it doesn't really have a legal existence of its own officially the primary black lives matter group is simply a project of another nonprofit called thousand currents now why is this interesting well it's interesting because the current vice chair of thousand currents is a woman called susan rosenberg and she's a convicted terrorist who spent 16 years in federal prison before she was given a pardon by Bill Clinton on the very last day.
5: Yeah, oh. thank you, thank you for dinging that bell. Also, a Rhodes Scholar. Also, a last day pardon or <laughs> yeah, whatever.
4: yeah, him and Cuomo. Yeah. God, who's who's Biden gonna tackle? That's that's the question. Oh. Just kidding. He's never he's never getting out of office. I'm no, just kidding. <sighs>
6: Bernie Carrick remembers this well he's the former police commissioner of New York City, but before that he worked in New Jersey. And look
4: at that
5: look at that people, people look at them. that gun
6: <laughs>
5: that that <laughs> might be considered an assault rifle. <laughs> it's
4: funny you mentioned that,
5: yeah.
6: to mention that. Yeah. little courthouse in Newark in nineteen eighty five He knows the story well, and we're happy to have him on tonight Scott thank you for coming on. that picture is is Thanks. remarkable, so so
4: yeah, you remember Bernard Carrick from uh... You may remember Bernard Carrick from, from Psyops, yeah. such as nine eleven. 11 he was the police chief at the, he was uh no. police chief, yeah. Ah this is that guy. Wow. Yeah, and he's he's uh he's kind of a <laughs> kind of a spook himself, obviously. Uh, but yeah. Um That was him in the in that picture. Oh. An- oh
3: I had, I had wow. hair then, Tucker. I had, I had hair. hair. Wow.
6: And then they are fifteen. So what that who, looks like an M5. Why is it significant that she now, in effect, works for Black Lives Matter?
3: Well, it, it, for me, uh, on a personal note, it, it's, uh, it's important for your viewers to know who she is, because Black Lives Matter, as I've said, dating back to 2015, it's a revolutionary, a revolutionary Marxist group. That's what it is. It's a group that wants to overthrow this government, the country. It's a group that its founders, its three founders, were inspired by a woman named Joanne Chesimard, who goes by an African named Asada Shakur, who lives in exile in Cuba after she assassinated a New Jersey state trooper. She was involved in a number of bombings and executions of New York City cops, cops in San Francisco, and cops in New Jersey. Um, that's who they are. That's what they're about. And when I try to explain that to people, Over the last two or three years, they didn't get it. Now, in the last few weeks, we learn Susan Rosenberg is one of their fundraising um, gurus, let's say. Well, Susan Rosenberg, in 1985, when you look at that photo, she was convicted of possessing hundreds of pounds of explosives. She was involved in the Brinks-Nyak robbery, where two cops were killed and a security guard was killed. She was involved, her and her organization, the May 19th Communist Organization, they were involved in a number of police assassinations, bombings, the US Capitol bombing, uh, the Naval War College bombing, and a number of others in in the United States. She was a radical revolutionary, and she was let out of prison. She was commuted on the last day of President Clinton's um, term in office uh, after 16 years in prison. She was given 58 years in prison. and now she's out. Who does she work for? Black Lives Matter. I think I I think you know we're missing something here. I think DOJ should be looking at Black Lives Matter as a terrorist group, as a terrorist think? organization. Um, and I and I think I, I find it astounding that all these U.S. firms, some two hundred that you've you've chronicled uh, on your show, they're they're just pounding money into a group that's all about the overthrow of this government. And if you can't see it on its face by what they do normally on a daily basis, then you need to start looking at their associates, their inspirers, and the people around them, because this stuff has been going on since 1960, 70, in the early 80s, when these people, these revolutionaries, Marxist revolutionaries, wanted to overthrow this country.
6: It's just amazing that all the rich ladies in Aspen and Greenwich think BLM is about ending racism, which obviously all of us are for, when in fact it's a revolutionary group. Maybe the U.S. government could take decisive action and, by doing that, make it really clear that this is a terror organization.
3: You know what, Tucker? Black Lives Matter was truly, uh, you know, working for Black Lives. They'd be marching tonight in Chicago or Baltimore or Cleveland. And I can give you 20 other... All right. Well, you know,
4: (laughs) I'm not whether BLM explicitly is trying to overthrow the government. It's kind of he's kind of taking that in a in the other opposite direction and um, painting that brush. And, you know, that's his uh, that's his position. But, um, you know, and that's why I don't like terror terrorism legislation, because it's just like, oh, they should declare them a terrorist organization. But you know where that that ends up going to um so but you know and it's come back the other way when it comes to january 6th but this this connection with susan rosenberg um it still blows my mind to this day that you know it's that you have to unfortunately this is like the only mainstream news outlet that covers it and you know tucker's like the release valve for all this stuff so yeah. He can be the turd in the punch bowl that alienates people from this message yeah. uh, while also, you know, s- spreading awareness about something that no one else is talking about, but, you know, makes it impossible for some people to listen to. And um, But that this was the only place to find it, and it actually got removed from YouTube. Oh. That's why I had to get on BitChute. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it was that... Oh. Um, He pushed it too far then.
5: Super incendiary, all those words. and All that information.
4: Man. You mean from uh, Bernard Carrick, you're saying? Just
5: from, yeah, from this whole video to get it removed from YouTube? Jeez. Yep. It's, (laughs) that's so sick. (laughs) Wow. Well, this, uh... Yeah, I was just like... Who, well, sorry about that um, yeah it's just like who needs to hear this information because if I say it's the so boomers well how many boomers are out there kind of siding you know anti-Vietnam anti-war it's really easy to be anti-war it's really also easy to look back on that era and say it was only about being anti-war So then these uh, players here that are got different agendas kind of get lumped under the, well, well, they just opposed the unjust war. I was on their side. So when you hear as a boomer that Bill Clinton pardoned one of them, I mean, don't you think that just drifts
4: into their minds as
5: being a good
4: thing? Well, I don't think they even know about it. That's the thing. That's true. I mean, when... So, what was it? Mark Rich also got pardoned by Bill Clinton, I believe. And that was the focus because of... He was like a friend who was involved in some shady financial stuff. Right. And, and that was the focus. Instead of Susan Rosenberg, and to me, as far as I can tell, um, at least from my recollection, I was in eighth grade at the time, but right. I, I didn't yeah. see any... I mean, I'm sure it was a blurb, yeah. but... For the narrative, they didn't bring that in. They didn't mention, like, isn't this kind of interesting? No, because they clearly there's cover for this for some explicit purpose. In my opinion, yeah, I believe based on all these connections with uh, with the Weather Underground and Bill Ayers and the Obamas and like all these organizations, there's. An element within uh the u.s government other western governments that is very sympathetic to at the very least using communism or these types of tactics to play their dialectics i mean right. it's they're, they're using it as a chess piece i don't think you know david rockefeller when he was you know um helping china open trade to the world he, I don't think he was doing that because he's like, "Oh yeah, I'm a true believer in communism." He just sees as he see, or saw it as a way to um, monopolize a market and utilize that tool yeah. or piece on a chessboard to, you know, play out conflicts and make money along the way. That's that's the <laughs> one of the oldest games that's being played. Yeah, yeah. Um. And the Weather Underground were just one part of that. Um, whether it was a, a trial run, you know, Herbert Marcuse's, uh, you know, intelligence background influences him. Bill Ayers, par- you know, father connection, who knows what they're pushing. Yeah, you know, I mean, once again, it's like them.
5: rich kids.
4: MK Ultra. who knows?
5: Parents, like the highly influential rich people's kids just like the uh the music of the time it seems to be the theme
4: well coincidentally a lot of um music stars from the 60s were children of exactly mil- military intelligence yeah yeah jim Do- uh, jim morrison yeah. um, all the laurel canyon stuff which i thought about going into but the weather underground this topic kind of took over because there was just too much to talk about. And I would like to cover the music industry and even maybe, you know, pop culture in general with this. In yeah. Mind. This whole
5: era would be like, Oh, it's, f- it's a
4: gold episodes. mine. I yeah. mean, Charles Manson, the MK yeah. ultra, all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, and this is just one thread of it, but um, yeah. it, they, they, I mean, to get, Cuomo to pardon this guy, like that's they're doing favors, backdoor favors, absolutely.
5: And Cuomo might not even, well, I'm sure he knows. I'm sure he knows.
4: Well, I guess Chessa is politically connected, so he probably made a phone call and and all that. That's just within the establishment, but plus
5: Cuomo comes from the same type of father, so he was probably around these circles in his youth as well, right? You know, knowing these people at some level.
4: had to yeah it's um i think it goes what i learned in researching this is it it, even for what i knew it it went deeper than what i was aware of especially with the the lawyers guild and all that stuff it's just there's been something (laughs) being played out and in public um but it seems a lot of the time it seems organic but actually not. I mean, if you're actually, you know, if you're paying attention to all the different uh, tactics that are repeated and slogans and the fist and all that, you're, you know, you're left to wonder a little bit about um, what the pattern is here and how, how it keeps playing out and who's steering it. Yeah. Yeah. And um, that leads me to my last little clip here from, Jay Dyer, and he, he just sums up this whole dialectic that we've been talking about. Oh, now I am failing to play it. Let's
12: try it here. Okay. Uh, he goes on to say, well, if we look at the, the, the structure of this supporting and funding of revolutions, we'll notice that socialists always get money from industry, bankers, and uh monopoly capitalists. That always seems to be the case. And then he says that, again, this is because it collectivizes the wealth. And we can even begin to understand how Woodrow Wilson played into this because, of course, he played a big role as the tool of the banking elite and helping to push forward support for not just World War I, but also for uh, the centralized banking power in the U.S. Right? We get the Federal Reserve again in 1913, which is one of the planks of the Communist Manifesto. Now, I don't think that the Federal Reserve and what's happening in America is a Marxist conspiracy per se, because it's higher than that, right? And so, what a lot of people like, um, Anthony Sutton and uh, you know people that were looking into the the communist takeover, right? What what uh, McCarthy and others, what they were really stumbling upon without knowing it was high high level uh, industrialists and capitalists and Wall Street funding for liberalism and socialism, which they mistook to be a sort of grassroots or a foreign power running that operation. It wasn't Moscow primarily. Now, Moscow was a Soviet government. But again, the point that Sutton makes is that there wouldn't have been a Moscow, a Soviet government, or anything like that if you hadn't had treason on the, at the highest wealthiest levels in the west to support those movements and so he says industrialists and bankers formed the support first of all for trotsky um and the u.s bolshevists in the u.s were big supporters of woodrow wilson because they saw him as an ally and so you get this important support for uh for trotsky oil money uh, wall street uh through oil uh, magnates and oil money supported the bolshevik revolution and uh he ends his first chapter by saying that this is really a kind of a dialectic, and I think that's the key point here is that uh, to understand dialectics is just, just to understand the philosophy of opposing power and forces, of um, the good guys versus the bad guys, uh, black versus white, d- night versus day, right? Now, I don't believe that those things are inherently bad or inherently evil or anything like that, but – What happens is that uh, through manipulation, people will take things that are distinct and try to smash them against one another. This is a central component of Marxism-Socialism. They actually believe that dialectical process is almost this sort of mystical evolutionary thing which brings about revolution. And so that's why Marxism has as its fundamental core component the idea of never-ending revolution and never-ending critique, never-ending clash. It's a philosophy, a worldview of clashing. And that's why it's red, because it's blood and it's warfare. It's never-ending warfare, never-ending destruction and chaos to bring about eternal revolution, which produces the final stages, which produces the utopia, which produces the omega point, right? These different philosophers of dialectics believe this. And so that's why they fund and promote and constantly refer to war, chaos, destabilization, and manipulated chaos. It's necessary, in their view, for the whole process. And that's why as a Marxist, or as a socialist, as a revolutionary, you can't just be a, an academic. Right? You can't just be in your ivory tower. You have to be out there involved in the streets. You have to be part of the praxis. And so a, for a Marxist-socialist, Praxis is just as important as knowing and understanding this esoteric mystery religion philosophy of Marxism. Uh,
5: never ending.
4: Never ending. Got to get in the street, though. You can't be just be an academic. So,
5: yeah, you got to be in the game.
4: Lure him in. In the
5: game. That's for sure.
4: Yeah. I think that's you know in a nutshell what we're seeing uh, play out. I mean that's the first thing that I go to, and you you can mm-hmm. analyze any situation from there's a there's a thesis, sorry thesis, antithesis, <laughs> struggling to say these words, and good. the and the synthesis. Yeah, and if you're aware that people with money with All the power almost are aware of that too, and they play it out. You can you can see it in any situation. I mean, just (laughs) whatever popular the culture war is a huge example of dialectics being played. Oh yeah, they just took it cultural clear. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. Yeah. you know, and they use the use those language the the same language over and over regarding. People that oppose it, they're f- the, the phobias, the phobic, the white supremacy, the alt-right conspiracy, huh. just those trigger words that they use over and over. And then it, narrative control is still something that I am in awe of sometimes because you, you witness it, you see it playing out, but you realize that most people don't even see it as a narrative. They just see it as reality. And I remember during COVID talking about, you know, talking to somebody about what we were witnessing and all the narratives. And I remember them saying, "Like, what narrative? What are you talking about? I, I don't, I don't know. I don't see a narrative." Yeah. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh! It's not even a narrative. It's it's what is. They don't know what narrative means then. <laughs>
5: Or how it's used, or any of that. They must not have, unless they did. I don't know. It wasn't
4: there. Wasn't me.
5: (laughs) Wasn't me. That's all
4: I know. Yeah, it's, um, (laughs) it's all around us. I mean, that's, you know, if you control the media, then it doesn't matter. On some level, at least on a, I can convince enough people. That this is truth and it becomes this force. And and we see this now with COVID, especially that no matter how much data, how much facts come out about one thing or another, there's some people that just, it's like, you're not getting through to it. Yeah, they don't want to to know. No.
5: They might know that there's something there, but they don't
4: want to know. (laughs) That COVID dialectic, I mean, it's died down, but that was, (laughs) talk about dialectics, anti-mask, anti that. Yeah. Science, uh, horrors, like all the, just a case study and yeah, type of conflict manip- management, I should say. Yeah.
5: Yeah. I've got some new thoughts on that. So we'll
4: have to hit them,
5: hit them at another time, another show.
4: Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, <laughs> this topic stretches out uh, in many directions. So, yeah, and I think it comes from many
5: directions. Yes, absolutely. All right, sir, should I play us out? Play yeah, us let's out. play it out. It it was, get a little uh, it was fun. Uh, get a little deal going, and possibly talk to you soon.
10: Yes, sounds good. What's up, ma. It's your man right here. Mm-hmm. I like your titties. <laughs> I'm at Shorty at the mall. Her bro holding two deep cups of jello, my socks yellow oh, for me. Hello, what, what a bag will do you fun. wanna do be is uh, to a did. piece of property, forget what I just What's up man? Shaman right here. <laughs> I like your titties. I'm at Shorty at the mall. Her bro holding two deep cups of jello, my sock, shallow from Leaky, hella. What a bag will do to you when a dubious has move me to a piece of property. Forget what I just put the groupie through. Gotta spin until the angel, dizzy The who roll up the PC, please, I'm busy with evil. My hand on the tip, I'm commanding the clip, the span of the shit, nobody knows, but it's expanding the chips, chips, wanna touch, I might go shoot up the fruit tonight, dip in my mouth, looking like I'm recruited by Lucifer, ain't like what I roll up is anti-religious, but it's like I cop in Chinatown, I, I was, was slant eyes the bitches. This is for my weather people, and clever people, haters you speak against, cause they were never equals. Dark fiends, I was happy to beat you. What you tell the actor? I'm sorry I ain't treat you. Learn myself, cause nobody said let me teach you. This ain't for the middle town people I still see through. This is for my weather people. The clever people, haters to speak again, cause they were never equals. Dust fiends, I was happy to beat you. What you tell the act home? I'm sorry I ain't eat you. Learn myself, cause nobody said let me teach you. We follow the same road, but we know where it leads you. Chrome 380 drive me crazy cause it's fun to clap my chip radar calling out more hoes than thundercats And oh! that burberry like a yuppie lumberjack She won't see the pattern till I take the coat off Thunderblack Black Road up ready for brain acupuncture then I took the hoodie off the clit and didn't munch her. <laughs> Welcome to the strangest of days, there's dangerous ways. You find death, I found it in the angel and haze. Johnny mnemonic with the bubonic and the leather goose. Fuck the North Face, it's what I got underneath this weatherproof. And when it jumped out the to speak, it'll greet you with a flash of light that leave you in a box. Just the worms, need you. This is for my weather people, the clever people. Haters hey, you speak against, cause they were never equals drug fiends i was happy to beat you what you tell the ex hole i'm sorry i ain't treat you learn myself because nobody said let me teach you this ain't for the middle town people i still see through this is for my weather people and clever people haters to speak against because they were never equal dust fiends i was happy to beat you what you tell the x-hole i'm sorry i ain't eat you Learn myself cause nobody said let me teach you We follow the same road but we know where it leads you Come and see hell's house, whatever bleeds yells out And the first two letters of my place Is we spell out The locals hate me cause the locals love me Every piece of shit in see with a dream from here can't touch me Fuck me, that's what they whole yell out, love the penis Tight like the rims in the street with the rubber between us Every time I wipe my eyes, it get cloudy. Ten local rappers and write a song about me. In and out of the hash, like I'm in and out of the blue mess. In and out of my mind, like I'm in and out of the US. Drip sweat to NY, dip wet then get high. And thank G-O-G, I kinda wasn't in the sky. This is for my weather people, the clever people. Haters you speak against, cause they were never equals. Drug fiends, I was happy to beat you. What you tell the act hole I'm sorry I ain't treat you. Learn myself, cause nobody said let me teach you. This ain't for the middle town people I still see through. This is for my weather people, the clever people. Haters you speak against, cause they were never equal Just fiends, I was happy to beat you. What you tell the act whole? I'm sorry I ain't eat you. Learn myself, cause nobody said let me teach you. We follow the same road, but we know where it leads to. Lead to. Cool. Mm-hmm.